0: everybody (laughs) oh please give it up for the worship team again you guys were amazing I was like I want to be up there singing with them that was fun that was fun that was filled with worship and uh, yeah thank you so much will you pray with me good morning God thank you for this day thank you for us all coming together God, thank you for those that are sitting in this room, for those that are watching on the live stream. God, I ask that you open our hearts, open our minds, and speak to us. And Lord, I ask that you let me decrease, let you increase. Speak to me, speak through me, and let your name be Glorified. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Ah, being a parent is the most rewarding, terrifying, frustrating thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> Seeing my daughter for the first time, I was overwhelmed by a fierce love that possessed me immediately. She was perfect. (laughs) And slowly, panic started to creep in. (laughs) Holy God, please don't let me mess her up. Never have I felt so much pressure to be perfect than the moment I saw my daughter. Every decision was monumental. I constantly questioned everything I did. I'm dressing her too hot, I'm dressing her too cold, she's starving, she's eating too much, I'm ruining her life, you know? It just was so much. Does that resonate with any of the parents in here? Right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And eventually, we get too tired to try to be perfect. (laughs) And hopefully we realize that we don't have to be perfect. We just need to love them and to do the best we can. Tima Okun an educator, artist, activist, wrote an article on white supremacy culture around 1999 that experienced a, resurgent, a resurgence after the murder of George Floyd. Now, the article is a culmination of decades of collaboration with James Williams, Kenneth Jones, Sharon Martinez, and several other educators, activists, progressive thinkers. In fact, so much information has been collected and shared that it has morphed into a comprehensive website, and um, hopefully the greeters can share that site in the chat now. During a recent podcast, Tima described her understanding of white supremacy culture as a cultural project of disconnect. She believes that white supremacy culture's whole purpose is to disconnect through fear, using fear to disconnect people across lines of race, within racial groups, and to disconnect from ourselves, from God's divine spirit, from creativity, from science, in service of the power elite who are hoarding power and profit. White supremacy culture normalizes things that ordinarily, that really are absurd. The number of people going to bed hungry at night, the disparity of of sentencing in the courts, police brutality, the difference in mortality rates between races, internment camps, shipping immigrants to blue states, separating families, putting children In cages. Tima went went on to say that white supremacy encourages those of us living in white bodies to think that we're better just because we're white, while at the same time making people in white bodies hate themselves. Mm. As Reverend Josh shared a couple of weeks ago, Forefront's values are motivated by love. We are not trying to alienate or shame anyone. Please hear me when I say that our commitment to anti racism is to undo white supremacy culture. It is not anti white people, mo- uh, anti white mo- people movement, okay? I love white people. Some of my best friends are white. I had a white nanny growing up, all right, okay? So just know, I have all the best words, all the best words. (laughs) And last week, Pastor McKenzie preached that there are 15 characteristics identified as part of white supremacy culture. Max message centered around the characteristics of denial and defensiveness. And the antidote, tell me more. Listen and learn. Mac's sermon was spot on, and if any of you missed it, please go and check out our site and watch it after today's service is over. All right? (laughs) So today, I'm focusing on the characteristics of one, I almost said one white way, one right way, right? One right way, perfectionism which is the belief that there is one, white, one right way. Oh my gosh, why am I doing this? I did it perfectly last night, perfectly. All right, there is one right way to do things, and once people are introduced to the right way, they will see the light and adopt it. This belief is connected to the belief that the right way is the perfect way, and therefore, perfection is both attainable and desirable. Now, our hope is that you will be encouraged and inspired to cherish the messiness of inclusive and affirming love. So, let's look at some scriptures that illustrate the dangers of this one right way characteristic. Luke 6, 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everybody. So the man got up and stood there. When Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or evil? to save a life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. One Right-way thinking traps us. It stagnates creativity. It paralyzes us from action, even when common decency urges us to intervene. For the Pharisees in this text, the law said, do not work on the Sabbath. Now, this is based on the fourth commandment, which is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In their mind, the law was clear. The trap was laid, and there wasn't any wiggle room because it's in the Word. I'm so glad that Jesus came to shine a light on us and to teach us what God really means to follow God's commandments. That loving God and loving each other trumps everything else. That when we truly love, we will recognize the humanity of our neighbors, our siblings, and help. And, and we, we are just compelled to help. Acts fifteen five through 11 reads, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, this is after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, right? So there were some believers and even some of the Pharisees actually began to believe. Not all of them, but even in that belief, they were still focused on the law. So again, the Pharisees are causing trouble again. They say, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. And he said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe God, who knows the heart, showed that God accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. God did not discriminate between us and them, for God purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Right? After that, they all said, we agree. End of story. <laughs> not, not, no. No. There's all this back and forth and they you know, decide that, okay, the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, but let's write them a letter and with a list of do's and don'ts that they need to adhere to in order to prove their salvation. Mm. Does that sound familiar to what we go through right now? Well, when I was in grade school, I had a friend that came to church regularly And on several occasions, different people would encourage him to invite his mother to come because she never came to church. You should bring your mother. Tell your mother to come, right? So finally, one Sunday, who walks through the door but my friend's mother? And I thought, oh, my goodness, how exciting. I looked around, expecting a chorus of hallelujahs, and instead, there were whispers and heads shaking. You see, his mom was wearing a pantsuit. Oh, now, don't get me wrong, it was a very tasteful, nice-looking suit, right? I thought she looked amazing, but at that church, women were not supposed to wear pants, right? And I just, you know, I was like, I don't know, around eight or something like that at the time, and I just could not understand why they couldn't just be happy that his mom had come to church. I mean, and the most ironic thing about this Sunday was for the Invitational, they sang Just As I Am. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Oh, they were so rude to that woman. And I don't recall her ever coming back to church until the homegoing service for her son my friend how sad is that church should be a place where god's love is shown to every person who walks through its doors like the pharisees some christians are more focused on rules that if they that even if jesus were to walk through their doors they would give him side eye and possibly even try to throw him out one of the many scriptures misused to support this perfectionism characteristic is Matthew 5 48 be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect Ooh, this scripture has haunted me for decades (laughs) it was both the angel and devil on my shoulder telling me that my salvation was tied to my being perfect Therefore, I was doomed. (laughs) As much as I wanted to be perfect, I could never, never measure up. Has this scripture ever been thrown at any of you? Right? Has it been weaponized to justify excluding you from joining or serving in a church? Does Jesus expect us to be perfect? Can our salvation be canceled by our imperfections? Well, before we can fully understand the complexities of this text, we need to get a fuller picture, right? So part of Forefront's vision statement is that we take the scriptures too seriously to take it literally. We read scripture in context and with commentary. We believe that it's relevant for us today and that the word is authorized by the Holy Spirit. So... Here's my understanding of this text today. And I stress today because we are always growing, evolving, learning. This scripture is part of what is known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. After being baptized, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Then he finds out that his cousin John the Baptist has been arrested for preaching the gospel. And uh, so Jesus starts preaching John's message to repent. And as he travels, the news of his teaching spreads and the crowds grow bigger. And now some speculate that Jesus went up to the mountainside or hill to escape the crowd and to speak to his disciples directly. Now, some say that he went to address the crowd for a better platform. It really doesn't matter. What is is important is that the majority of his sermon was about equity. Let's revisit that scripture in in Matthew again. And in fact, let's back up a bit more to get this context. Matthew 5, 43-48 is, You have heard heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father, mother, creator in heaven. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father, Mother, Creator, is perfect. Now many only focus on this last verse and tell us it means, while no one is perfect, we should strive to be perfect. And that sets us up for failure over and over again. Some of us use it as a soundbite to admonish those who they deem to be living in sin. And thankfully, some of us take a more holistic approach. So in addition to reading what happens before and after the text, it's also helpful to look at the translation. Just want to make sure everybody knows the Bible wasn't written in English, right? (laughs) Right? So the Old Testament was written mostly in Hebrew. Portions were in Aramaic. And there are two word groups in the Hebrew Old Testament that are translated as perfect or perfection. They are tanam, which I'm sorry, Tamam, which connotates um, wholeness, um, soundness, integrity, and kalal, which connotates completeness, perfection, beauty. And the New Testament was written in Greek. And according to Strong's concordance, the word perfect in this verse was derived from the Greek term teleos or telio, teloi, um, which is defined as, defined as using um, in, in these certain examples um, to complete in all parts, complete in all its parts, Full grown or full age, completeness of the Christian character, and being in its intended function. In one of her blogs on her site, um, uh, journeytoimperfection.com, Leslie Newman expounds on this definition and asks us to consider, what if being perfect really means being complete? full grown and in my intended purpose what if jesus is not asking for us for sinless perfection after all yes i believe asking that jesus is asking us to be complete that we imitate god who is ever moving and growing and doing our best to become more and more like them They want us to mature, to be whole, which is the goal. It's not an absolute. Furthermore, that verse instructs us to journey, to complete what is missing in our lives and share it, share the grace we receive from God with others. That's what makes our lives perfect, complete. Time after time, Jesus met people where they were and gave them what they needed. Jesus came to restore and encourage us to do the same. When you get a chance, read all of Matthew 5 again. In the meantime, here are some takeaways leading up to Matthew five forty-eight. Jesus said, "'Uplift those who are suffering. "'Let your light shine.'" Regardless of what others do, there's no more to righteousness than, oh, there is more to righteousness than just enforcing the law. Own your mistakes and resolve them. Be honest with yourself and with others. Love is not transactional, it's restorative. Oh, and the verb tense uh, used in Matthew 5.48 is a future tense form, thus making it a shall be or will be statement. So in essence, Matthew 5.48 really says, you will be complete as your heavenly Father is complete. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Remember the scripture that we read earlier about Jesus healing the hand of the... Sh- of the um, The man with the shriveled hand, right? On the Sabbath. Well, during that sermon on the mount, Jesus also says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. That's in Matthew 5.17. Which, of course, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have called heresy. Later on, as if that wasn't, as if he hadn't dissed them enough, <laughs> Jesus in that same sermon in verse 20 says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were more concerned with being right than being in right relationship. You like how I did that, Mac? Yeah. Right, how I like, looked that in? Uh-huh, all right, all right. Yeah, I, that, that's something that like keeps going through my head and reminding me of that, right? It's something I have to work on because like, just because it's right or just because it's true, it doesn't mean that it's right to say or right to do, right? So what kind of a relationship do you want to be in with yourself? What kind of a relationship do you want to be in with God, with others? Do you want it to be a tit-for-tat kind of thing? We only reserve our love and forgiveness for those who think and act like we do. I, I really hope not because that's when we end up, you know, gossiping about somebody wearing a pantsuit to church. All right? Amen. They were so busy, the Pharisees were so busy following rules that they overlooked what Jesus said, what were the greatest commandments? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So, how, how do we find ways to journey towards completeness? What are some things that we can do? What's the antidote? for one right way and perfectionism. One of them is be in community with folks who don't look or think like you. Do you guys have friends that, you know, are different, that are in different races, ethnicities, orientations, right? Do they come to your house? Do you go to their house? Is Forefront the only place where you're diverse? You know, think about that. Make your community look like what God intends. Make it available to all. Develop a culture of appreciation. Appreciation of everyone's work and efforts, even when mistakes are made. Sometimes mistakes lead to positive results. Speak to what went well before offering critical feedback. That's one of the things I really have to work on. (laughs) Except that there are many ways to get the same goal, get to the same goal. Notice when, be, when you become defici, def, uh, defensive or insistent about doing something your way. All right Those are just a few things. Um, side note: Go out and vote. Go out and vote. right A lot of people in New York think that, oh, we don't need to vote because New York is a democratic you know state so it all these races are very close and I'm not telling you how to vote or who to vote for right I'm telling you to go out and vote make your voice heard speak up for those that are oppressed who are the people that are trying to take away rights from people who are the people that are trying to honor rights several years ago people thought they didn't have to go out and vote because there was no way an orangutan would be, (laughs) I'm sorry, forgive me, sorry. No way that he who will remain nameless would become president, right? People stayed home, they were like, and then uh, then they're out protesting. I'm like, okay, protesting, did you vote? Right? We have to go out and vote. Not only are there tight races going on, but also flip that ballot over, because on the other side of the ballot, there's some questions about do we want to talk about racial racial diversity? Do we want to have a land acknowledgement? Do we want to have these kind of things? These are important issues. So if you care about these things and you care about, you know, trying to lift up others, try to go and vote. I'm gonna go after church. I'm gonna go after church. So if you want to ride, you can have a ride. You know, today's the last day of early voting and then Tuesday is the whole thing. Okay, all right, enough of that. All right, but it's important, and I just had to say it. So there are many more sites that you can visit to get more in-depth information on the article, of the antidotes for these characteristics, and um, hopefully the greeting team is able to put all of those in the comments section now. My friend and Forefront Congregant, Addie Stewart has been writing a piece about her journey relationship with various churches and one of the realizations that she shares in the piece which I hope we can incorporate into one of our services soon is she says I traded my romantic notions about church for the messiness that goes with intimacy (laughs) I traded my romantic notions about church for the messiness that goes with intimacy. So, let's get messy together. We are going to have intercessory prayer in a few minutes. So, please type any prayer requests that you have in the comments section now. And uh, Phil is here in the back if there's someone who needs prayer in person as well. Now, I know all of this might seem overwhelming. Sometimes it's uncomfortable having everyone at the table, especially when it requires you to serve something palatable for everyone at the table. Affirming, inclusive communities can be messy. We may have different beliefs, practices, backgrounds, comfort zones, but we can work together towards our common goal completeness amen Amen. Amen. and amen thank you god for this word and again bless us and help us to be blessings to others in jesus name amen